Welcome. So, my friends call me Ninja, and I'm just gonna go ahead and throw this one out here because I've been attempting to do this for a while, and uh, honestly, the best way to just start something is to go ahead and make the leap, right? And that's essentially what this is, uh, the leap. So, what this is for, why I'm here, you can see, what I would like to do is I would like to offer a little bit of my perspective. Um, I kind of happen to be a person that has lived, I realized it probably by the time I was 25, but I lived a life that was pretty uncommon. And with that kind of perspective, I feel like there's a lot of things that we can learn a lot sooner. Um, so I actually learned a new word today. Uh, and today's word is called autodidactism. Uh, well, I find myself to be a bit of an autodidactic. Um, which is that I, pretty much all my life, I have l learned more outside of institutions than I've really learned inside of them. That's basically been that whole way since my grade school career because I went to school in so many different places, even just around the U.S. I went to 11 different elementary schools, one middle school, two high schools, two colleges. Um, so, like, between all of those, I've learned that education excuse me, by certain points have been, I don't know, like, we all learn the same things here in the U.S. for the most part, except for the parts of the state's history that are generally pretty specific to them. Uh, but what we don't really seem to learn about is, like, the state, is, like, our contemporary history, um, where we basically take trace a line from where we are to like how we got here like specifically to today as opposed to looking at each and every event throughout history as like separate events with somehow some magical space in between where nothing happened and if anything right now that we've been living through this experience constantly and probably more so because of all of our unprecedented events lately um where we've like all of a sudden kind of realized we're in this space um, and what I guess I'm here to say is, or here to talk about a lot of the time, is that this space has actually always been present. Like, it's always been here. Like, we're always living through world history. Um, it, the only difference between the history that we currently live through and the history that, and the history that we remember is that the history that we remember was the stuff that we achieved. Like, that's how history didn't repeat itself all the time. Um, it was achieved, it was all of a sudden someone broke a record, someone did something that no one else has ever done, some government did something that no one else has ever done, or some event happened on the planet that has never happened in any other point beforehand. That's the history we remember. But it's not history that was made, it was history that was achieved. Because before then, most stuff just perpetuated. And like that's kind of the difference between, like I think, a lot of perspectives or at least just one of the perspectives that I share with like a lot of stuff like that I want to bring over to other people, I guess, who are interested in listening to this perspective that I have. Um, and that that's kind of one of those things. Like you, you get to hear a lot of weird stuff to me personally growing up here. Um, and like me personally, as a, like I, I've always been kind of somewhere in the middle of like all of this rhetoric. Especially because I'm black. I grew up black here. 
<laughs> and I actually wasn't born in the South. I was uh, not, not like that's a thing that's personally like supposed to be a thing of all black people, but I was uh, I was born in California, unlike the rest of my family who was born in the southeastern region of the U.S. Um, and I eventually made my way back there, where I've been taking like the last 10 years to try to unlearn a lot of the stuff that I learned when I was growing up there because it was very dichotic um it was the first place I ever went to that really felt highly dichotic um you know and there was just black people and white people with a mixture of a lot of other people a lot of, of like a lot of Asians when you lived in South Alabama it was a lot of Asians and a lot of Indians that were also there um but it was pretty dichotic and I, all of a sudden it was the first time I learned something pretty important um it was my first culture shock because I learned that I was black when I moved down there and what that meant to this country and what that meant for my experience actually and a lot of this perspective that I have shaped and it was simply because before then a lot of the places that I'd been to and a lot of places that I'd lived in I was at least either too young to understand or it just simply wasn't a part of the culture to point out or make significance over my apparent blackness. You know, because in other countries, <clears throat> it was truly a rarity. It was really more about the fact that there weren't people like me uh, around to be seen that made me more of a spectacle. But here in the US, uh, there's plenty of black people to be seen. As a matter of fact, we're seen all over the place in entertainment. You have no idea how many times I was told growing up that, oh, you look like Wesley Snipes, you look like Samuel L. Jackson. And it's like, are those the only black people you actually know here? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> but still, it, it's that, it was that thing that I experienced uh, when I moved down to the South. It was all of a sudden, and of course, like, the, the biggest thing about this is that when I moved down there, um, the first experience in culture shock um, that I had was primarily shaped by black people, you know, because I, I moved down, we, my family decided to live in my grandmother's old house, which was right down the street from an elementary school, uh, Whitley Elementary School in Pritchard, Alabama, um, and decided to, in fact, <clears throat> go uh go there based on convenience and it was an all-black school it's not things these days aren't listed as like predominantly that due to the politically correct structure you won't see places being all white and all black anymore because we're supposedly past that but what we didn't uh, what we only abolished in legislation we didn't abolish on the social front or on the scene so all of these places basically still remained how they were and the south is a very large example of that like entirely if you ever want to see the results of a place that hung on to its racial structures um until like the 70s and 80s you know um and you can see that perpetuation like continue like it's very physical like you can tell where the bad neighborhoods are because it's where all black people live like, it's still like that to this day, even though there are poor neighborhoods for everybody. It's just, anyways, we'll get to that later. <laughs> but, but, I moved, but when I was in the school, the first thing that people told me was that I wasn't black. You don't sound black. You don't act black. 
You ain't got, you don't wear, you don't wear black. And I'm sitting here looking at myself like, well, that's odd. Because I happen to be wearing the same skin that you are. And yet, somehow, like, my interest and my speech and my level of intelligence, even, was all being questioned as a form of blackness. Like, being told very specifically that it wasn't. That it was white, even. And that's something that I've been told by my family a whole bunch, that I was the white boy of the family. <laughs> and that that was kind of, I don't know, like I, I almost took that to law, where that was the first definitive thing that I ever learned about my blackness, was that there was an edge to it. That simply being born this way um, wasn't enough. Uh, to prove to people that, or especially in the thickness of the culture, like your level of this blackness, so-called. Um, so, uh, that was, it was challenging in the very beginning, but it was just like wild. I didn't even really respond to it much. It just made me miserable uh, because it was just like, it was all of a sudden realizing to me that the rest of the world was a lot like my cousins on my dad's side of the family. And whenever we go see them, it was just like, oh, wow, so pretty much black people do act like that. Uh, <coughs> which wasn't, it was, as much as it was disappointing, it just kind of made me feel very alienated from everything. Uh, because, and sadly enough, I had grown up and kind of made me realize that I, without really looking at the subtle differences in the world that I experienced um, growing up, that... I still related to a world that was entirely white on the other side of this uh, dynamic. You know, I all of a sudden started, I started telling my mom <clears throat> like that I didn't want to be there, that I didn't want to be there at all. Like I just, uh, that I needed to go to a place with more diversity. That was the, um, thing that I had told my mom. And so, unfortunately, living in Alabama, diversity means going to somewhere that is white, or going to a town that is primarily still white. And so, I ended up going to an elementary school after about, I was like three solid weeks ago in Whitley, my mom transferred me to uh Saraland Elementary in Saraland, Alabama. It was about two cities north from where we were. And it was a school that went from being, it was going to a place that was predominantly white. And yet somehow I felt like I fit in, I, I would be able, I was able to fit in a lot more because to all of a sudden I realized, uh, because when I got there, I was like a spectacle to white people. You know, they had never seen a black person act like me before. And clearly I wasn't even from there to them, which made me even more of like an exotic nature thing. Though like, I will say that the friends that I gained from those experiences didn't necessarily treat me in that right. Most did, most of that associated with me um, was, were, it was like all of a sudden I was introduced. By the time I got into high school, um, the first thing I was actually, uh, 
the first nickname that I actually even got into high school is the token black guy. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people that were, if they know me, um, who also know that name, probably chuckled a little bit because yes, they did call me by that. But yeah, that was the nature of it. I was called the token black guy by the time I was in high school. Because by that situation, I had only learned to find comfort into associating with mostly white people because they were the people who didn't question my blackness because my presence of being black simply was kind of enough for them. And like that felt a lot better than constantly sitting in a place where that was being questioned or being made fun of even. And yet, like instead of being appreciated for that, or for that notion of like, instead of actually looking for appreciation of me as a person, uh, I truly just like sought that comfort in the commodity. Like, because to these people, like some of them actually were truly trying to work past their prejudices or the things that they were constantly taught or saw around them in the South, you know, where they saw people being treated or where they, see, where they see black people and they see this racism that's going on perpetually and they see this prejudice that's going on perpetually and like they question it fairly but the aggression between the two is so thick that they can't hold a conversation with someone long enough to actually like make that bridge or make that connection and those that do oftentimes what you saw in that culture that did, did so based on aggression which was like um What's the, uh, what's the word that they used to use back in the day? Oh, God, I... Wiggers? Um, such a terrible phenomenon. Only because, like, it's an inverse on a... It's an inverse on a thing that doesn't... That shouldn't even exist. That was invented in the first place. Um. So, those people were the ones that adhere to the aesthetic nature of the culture... You know, listening to rap music, wearing the pants and such, and, like, even adopting the vernacular, uh, just to basically, because they're, because a lot of the times, which is interesting to me, is that their income situation placed them at the edge of these neighborhoods, so they had to grow up with that, and when you grow up in a place that's predominantly black as a white person, it seems as though the only survival method you have is to adapt. And so thusly you get these people that come in still heavily involved with this culture that are looking at me going, you ain't black. And it was just like, well, sir, neither are you. I don't know if you realize this. And that's fine. Only difference is, I, even though back then I was just like, obviously we were facing an identity crisis and need to switch bodies or something like that. Because we seems to be our attitudes and our demeanor is the source of both of our problems here. You know, you constantly having your blackness questioned, I, I imagine, uh, which is kind of a barrier based on your white skin, I would imagine. However, I digress from that. <laughs> it was just... I accepted, I remember accepting an award from a mentor of mine, who's a really good friend, um, but he too had accepted this award for being the whitest black person uh, in the band, in, in the marching band. Um, and I, I was in marching band as well, 
and I remember right before I got into high school, <clears throat> he passed this uh, reward, this award down to me. And I remember accepting it with grace and thinking it was absolutely hilarious and sort of realizing that was kind of going to be my fate was that like of being you know in a strange way being a commodity to all these folks it took me until like about my senior year to sort of realize that um being black was actually kind of the source of all of my problems that there was a lot of nature in the nature of growing up in a white world the way that i did was that there was a very stark reminder that you are still black in their world. And it's actually like a, and not a jolt. It's not a, uh, it's not a big event. It's not some kind of, you know, rally or falling out. No, it's, it's actually nothing that big. See, when you live in a white world, everybody likes to remind you that you're black. Just every day. On the subtle ways. You know, they want to, they want to, um, it's always just like you as a black person doing this thing. You know? And then, of course, when you ever want to date, or if you ever end up having feelings, and God forbid, fall in love, that was always a barrier down there. Like, because you had to first learn if they were into black people first. And then you have to find out if they liked you. And then you also had to find out if their family was cool with it. Because if these three things didn't align, then there was all kinds of trouble happening all the time. All kinds of trouble. Um, there's like a part of that dynamic I feel like I want to explain later in and of itself. But that essence of it of like when you constantly just get reminded you know everybody likes to ask you if you like rap music do you like Bob Marley if they think you smoke weed you know do you play basketball do you play football like that was the first two questions I always got asked by any white person um, and then if they looked like and if they served then they asked me if I served but I think that's a kind of a separate dynamic too because my dad was a marine like uh, pretty much, he's till this day, he's still in the military. So, like, I was raised by a Marine and a teacher. So, I kind of, yeah. Any, um, it's kind of a knack where people, military families kind of recognize people who are raised in military families, but that's a separate perspective. Um, but that, those, you know, those commonalities, those things that you constantly run into, like, it's it's remarkable about how like every time I share this person like every time I share this these these events uh, with white people, even throughout this years, even throughout after I got out of high school and started living on my own and was kind of more addictive, being able to really dictate more of my experience. I felt um, I still felt like every time I explained these things to white people it was always a shock. They're like, I had no idea you were being treated that way, or I had no idea it was like this, or like. Or the people, of course, by the white people that don't know you personally will always tell you that your experience is for naught. That, like, people didn't treat you poorly, you know, or whatever. Or that you only saw that experience because you chose to see that experience. And it was just, and it's, 
remarkable about that because like it, it's crazy to have like and that's a part of that thing that they were trying to, that it's been very difficult to explain about the concepts of racism it is basically um the fact that you can only perceive it from one end of the spectrum and it is just because for other people for the it seems as though for white people racism looks like lynching and like cop beatings or maybe not even cop beatings because clearly we had a bunch of that and nobody's really like saying anything um so like um so it's like lynching or like the clearly like hate crimes like the things that are like very obviously really big events causing pain and unaware of the fact that it is the microaggressions are way less than that it's always being it's like people coming up to you and telling you about your experience being like you know like where you you wear something on your face and come people come up and yell to you and telling you that you're being a disgrace to all the good white people that helped you you know the people that come up to you out of nowhere and just decide to dump all of this guilt on you for all the things that they've done or for the ways that their parents were or anything like that and, and they literally like look at me as the first and only black people they person they see that's approachable and just decide to just dump all this nonsense on it half the time when it's just like yo i'm not actually the person you should be reconciliating like making some reconciliation with um as a matter of fact what one of the things that i want to help with throughout all of this is how to make that reconciliation with yourself in terms of racism i know it's like a strangely imperceptible thing but I kind of want to break it down, um, at least through, if not here, um, throughout, like, kind of the, the totals of this whole experience, um, how to break that down for yourself, um, if you are still having trouble with, uh, I guess, unseeing some of these things, um, and with the help of someone who has actually been on the other side of a lot of them. <laughs> And still has managed to be pretty lucky as far as most of those experiences are concerned. And I don't house enough aggression about the whole experience to where I will just lash out. Because I found that that's an experience that prevents a lot of like white people to me from kind of grasping the whole thing because they're afraid. They're like afraid that if you actually ask a question to a person that is that is being uh, you know oppressed or afflicted at the time. Um, about their experience that you'll get uh, that you'll get back this aggression and oftentimes it's actually true but that's only because of how you come about it if you're the kind of person that just be like well, all of you guys just are aggressive and go to prison don't you all you guys just beat beat up women and are just hyper aggressive aren't you and it's like that's that's not how you ask that question and a lot of the times you don't even ask questions As a matter of fact you usually just listen or actually just willingly seek out that experience and remember that it's actually not about you there. And the idea in and of itself is actually to dissolve the entire notion of whiteness and blackness altogether. Because truthfully, that's where it's at. Like, that's truly been my experience, in fact, is that I've lived, all of a sudden, I lived this border between what is definitive whiteness and blackness only to realize that neither of them really exist everything belongs to everyone no 
there are cultures here that think that can claim starting something or another perpetuating something or another but the truth is everybody observes it here in some pocket no matter what color you are no matter what race you come from and the idea of race in and of itself being some kind of substantial factor in our culture has pretty much everything to do with the really terrible contract our government made when it decided to make its first economic system because honestly regardless of whether you own slaves or whether you didn't own slaves slavery is a terrible contract to make because when you do slavery you gotta say that some race or some group of people is lesser and when you do that and you create this inequality between men where we're all pretty much not like we're literally all human and there's nothing that separates that between anyone and everyone like on the planet like honestly it doesn't matter what culture you observe or what kind of thing you sit on you when you go to other places on the planet you experience human things they have the same the same kind of human problems the same human emotions and the color of their skin doesn't determine that because being human does <laughs> And so, like, if the nature and, like, so the nature of slavery basically divides that. Because it says that we're human, but these people are somehow less human. Even though we're all human here. And when you create those lines, it pretty much, it, the way that we are about ourselves, we pretty much just snowball into all this nonsense that you see here hyphenated americans even that's that truly is something i am so baffled by you know like how can the we have native american which native american is by that's like a whole thing in and of itself to me um why would you call them native american when they're natives they were american they're american first like we are in fact everything should be hyphenated there should be white american white american should be in fact like should have been something so entirely coined and so entirely like stigmatized <laughs> and not because i'm saying this should be hated on white people but the notion of having to of how, where we are now in a in a state of being where American specifically refers to right, white people and then they are extras American and they are all of the other races that are here that have to be hyphenated, that have to be identified even, you know? Like I can't just say, I can't put white, I can't just put American on any form that I have. I have to put black or African, you know? And that's like, how disenfranchising is that? I'm Caribbean. You know, my family's from Barbados. Like, Barbadian is never, has really never been an option on the form, okay? And I'm just telling you that it is really frustrating to live this disenfranchisement and to have, like, I am literally, like, I am in my 30s having to work through all of these things that have basically taken away from who I am like and I'm just a human being like I'm just a person I'm like I am like I was born black and unfortunately that means something here in this country and I've always wondered why and whenever <laughs> and I do encourage a lot of people to like always like kind of continue to seek a lot of works a lot of different perspectives of, outside of mine every great philosopher will tell you after the end of the book 
to disregard the book because they were only there to share. Um, and it's up to you to formulate your own way of thinking after that. Um, and I feel the same. Uh, after what I say or what I feel like, go ahead and look it up or go ahead and read up other works. I actually really enjoy... Um, I've pretty much read or listened to every recording of James Baldwin, um, which I definitely encourage everyone to like listen especially to the debates uh that he shares because the debates to me are exceedingly telling because on one end you can tell the illusion of an entire country versus someone who was trying to establish a human doctrine <laughs> that's the way i like to point that like it's just like here on the other end they're just like what about what about a black aggression what about starting a war what about taking over everything that white people have and they're just like you don't understand we don't want that we just want you guys to stop so we can just all like start living because this is terrible what you're doing to human beings here and it's terrible what's visibly happening to everybody's experience you know and that's that's what we're getting at that's the only thing that we are trying to obtain is just to be able to look and view everyone around us simply as human beings 